As Kevin mentioned this morning, we are um, mourning and rejoicing the loss of Moose, one of our founding elders, one of our dear friends, and um, just a truly, I know this is a cliche sometimes, but a truly unique life. Um, I never, I don't think I've ever met anybody who was more impervious to the trials and struggles of this life. Um, not that he didn't feel it, he did, but that smile was always there, and it was genuine too, no matter what happened. Um, and you couldn't be around Moose for 15 seconds without hearing a Bible verse on something. He was just overflowing with the love of God, and what a, what a tremendous testimony. When uh, the elders heard on Friday that Moose had gone home to be with the Lord, one of our elders just made a simple comment, and I thought it summed everything up. He said, a life well lived. And you know how timely that was for me thinking about today's message. Um, I don't think he knew what I was going to talk about unless he'd been peeking in my sermon notes, but it's so timely today for, for this message for me to read that statement, a life well lived. Because the truth is, as you and I live each day, through the choices that we make, the words we speak, the thoughts we think, the things we pursue, we are all making investments in. We are all making contributions in our legacy. Well, I don't mean we're striving to make a name for ourselves. That's not what I mean. But all of us, no matter who we are, we're all going to leave a legacy when we die. Our goal, our desire as followers of Christ is to leave a legacy that will point people to him, that will glorify him, not us. But what will people say about you when you're gone? What will people say about me? The time to begin filling in that blank for you is not down the road. It's now, today. Start today if you haven't already. Begin living life intentionally. Don't be blown about by the wind. Don't waffle. Don't float downstream like a dead fish. Grab life by the, by the collar and shake it and, and look at it and go, uh, I am coming to, to grips with the reality of what this is all about. I'm not playing games. I want to leave a godly legacy. I can tell you, that has never once in the history of the world happened by accident. Everyone who has left a godly legacy has done so because they've been willing to lay their life down and live for Christ. Today, we come to a passage of Scripture that ties in so perfectly to what we've just talked about. But unfortunately... We're going to be reminded of this today by being forced to look at the life of a man who did not live his life well. Two weeks ago in our study through the Bible, we came to Isaiah chapter 6, and we finished up Isaiah 6. And so as we move on now in the timeline this morning... Uh, as I mentioned, I'm doing my best to teach through the Bible chronologically, 
And as we've, you know, we've come to the, the books of the prophets now, it becomes uh, a real chore. And it's, it's going to take some discipline on our part to continue to put all these pieces together as we move forward. And so uh, I ask you to put your thinking caps on today. Maybe get out your, uh, your compass and your calculator, and we're going to do some mapping, and we're going to uh, dig through some history. But uh, things get rather complicated in the Bible when you get to this point around the middle of Second Kings, which ties into Isaiah and some of the other prophets, and also ties into Second Chronicles. So I'm going to try to bring some of those pieces together for us this morning. But what we saw in Isaiah 6 was how Isaiah got a vision of God in his temple on his throne. His life was changed, and uh, he was called to go and preach God's word to the people because they had turned away from God for so many generations. And so this was Isaiah's commission. And the people of the land that day, God's people, we, we need to keep this in mind, these were God's people who were in rebellion. These were his chosen people, the apple of his eye, the people he loved. They were the ones who had been living generation after generation in rebellion. God had sent prophets to them, called them back, and they said, no thanks, we don't need you, we're doing life on our own. And so that goes well for a while, as it always does with sin and rebellion. It goes great for a while, but consequences always follow. And what we see now in the life of these Hebrew people is that the consequences are now beginning to come home to roost, so to speak, uh, in a way that will change their history forever. They are now entering the final days of their rebellion against God just before destruction falls upon them. To give you a quick snapshot of what a terrible state God's people were in at this time, I want to summarize a portion of this history for you. Now, um, let's see. Yeah, so if you want to to turn to three places today, (laughs) you can go ahead and do that. Isaiah chapter 7, we'll be there in just a moment. And in the timeline of history, that ties into 2 Kings chapter 15 and 16. We also left off in 2 Kings 15 last time with Uzziah. And then also 2 Chronicles chapter 28. I know that's a lot to ask, but that's where we'll be. Now, all of those, those books are in different places in the Bible, but they all cover the same period of history. You can sort of lay them all on top of each other and get a full picture of what was going on. So we covered the first portion of 2 Kings 15 last time, along with Isaiah 6, and it was about the life of Uzziah. King Uzziah started out really well, but he finished in pride. He he was such a successful king, so popular that the pride went to his head, he overstepped his bounds, uh, and he ended his life in shame. And now I'm going to condense the rest of the chapter of 2 Kings 15 from verses 8 to 38 for you in about 30 seconds, because I want you just to see the snapshot of 
the condition that this nation was in. Here's what happened in the course of about 20, 25 years. Zechariah became king and ruled just six months before being assassinated by Shalom. Shalom became king for one month and was assassinated by Menahem. Menahem was, was succeeded by his son, Pekahiah. Pekahiah was assassinated by Pekah, and Pekah was assassinated by Hosea. There's the summary of 2 Kings 15. And you see, the, the pulse, the health of a nation is often gauged by the character of its leaders. Uh, we are in trouble, by the way, in America. We are in trouble. And this nation was in such a state of rebellion and sin that to get this snapshot of what was going on here in this time tells us a lot of what we need to know. Sin was rampant. Pride and greed and covetousness was raging in the hearts of these leaders. There was hatred and jealousy and envy, and it led to murder. And God's word proves true once again. He had warned the people so many times that when a nation forgets God, it will eventually come to ruin. And that's precisely what we see happening now as we move into Isaiah chapter 7 and 2 Kings chapter 16. In these sections I've mentioned to you, we meet a man named Ahaz, who was the king of Judah. And the events of Ahaz's life are recorded there for us. Uh, You guys can put that first slide up. That's what I was looking for uh, just a moment ago. That'll show you uh, just uh, kind of an overview of the books that we're going to, to be in, 2 Kings 16, 2 Chronicles 28, and Isaiah chapter 7. Now here's, I don't want us to to miss this. Every king, every king who had ruled over God's people up to this point, all had the same offer on the table from God. God said, if you trust me, if you lead my people in my ways, I will protect you and I will bless your nation. Every one of them had this available to them but only a few chose to take advantage of it. When you look at the history of Israel and Judah, you see that by far the vast majority of the kings in a more than 200-year span of history turned their back on God, and they arrogantly tried to run things on their own, and the results speak for themselves. History has proven again and again And I've told you this before, that man is incapable of ruling himself and ruling others without God, is incapable. That has never been proven wrong in history. When there's a righteous leader who trusts in God, the nation is blessed. When there's a godless tyrant who rules the land, the nation begins to crumble, and the same is still true today. America is not God's favorite nation. We will not bypass his judgment. 
Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. King Ahaz has now taken the throne in the southern kingdom of Judah. And I'm going to get to this in just a moment to help us visualize where all this is taking place. Uh, We're given a little peek into this man's godless leadership. And I want to read just some of that for you this morning. So before we get to Isaiah 7, look to 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 1. It says this, In the seventeenth year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, his God as his father David had done. Now that means his forefather, obviously David had lived hundreds of years before. Verse 3, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, who were all wicked men. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he, listen to this, he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Now turn over quickly to Second Chronicles 28, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to pick up the parallel account of what we just read, and this will fill in a few more details for us. Second Chronicles 28, 1. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of of Hinnom, and listen, burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. It's that one phrase there that I wanted to add in about what he did to his children. First of all, I want you to see this phrase that I've mentioned to you again and again as we've studied through the Old Testament. This phrase in the sight of the Lord, or in the eyes of the Lord. I encourage you to mark that every time you see it in the Old Testament. It it will begin to create quite a picture for you. When people in the Bible are assessed or evaluated by God, it never says he did what was right in the eyes of his friends. It never says he did what was right according to the culture of the day. No, it always says, every time, it always says this person either did what was right or did not do what was right in whose evaluation? In the eyes of the Lord. Listen, you and I can compare ourselves to someone who we think is not doing as good as we are, and in our own estimation, we can come out looking pretty good. We can compare uh, ourselves to the worldly culture out there, and we can say, well, at least I'm not doing what they're doing, so I must be doing what's right. 
The problem with that is we are measuring ourselves against the wrong standard. This can even happen in churches. Years ago, before LifePoint was ever a thought, I was in a Bible study, and the Bible study leader would read one verse and then would go around the room and ask each person, what does this verse mean to you? Well, I've got news for you. It doesn't matter what the Bible verse means to you. The only thing that matters is what the Bible verse means, period. You see, we can take a verse and say, well, what that means to me is no. No, that's not how we read the Bible. We submit ourselves under the word of God. And we say, God, you show me what you're saying through your word, and I will submit to that whatever it says. Doesn't matter what it means to me. Frankly, there are some verses in the Bible, I will just tell you as your pastor, I wish weren't there. Because they bother me a lot. They, they poke me, you know what I mean? They're a burr in my saddle. Every time I see them, it's like, oh man, I'm still not there yet. Still got a lot of work to do. Listen, when life is over, there's only one measurement that is going to determine how we lived our lives, and that is whether or not we did what was right in the sight of the Lord, which means along the way, you're going to have to lose some friends. You're probably going to lose some family members because you're not living to please other people. As leaders of this church, we face this all the time. We face hard decisions, we pray, we discuss it, and we have to make a decision knowing, knowing that when we make that decision, there are going to be some people who don't like it. Guess what? We have to make it anyway. Because, again, I hate to rain on your parade uh, and give you a dose of reality, but we are not here to please you. We're not here to make you happy And nobody's here to make me happy. We are here striving to understand what it means to please God in everything we do. And the same is going to be true in your life. You're going to have to make some decisions that other people will not understand. As each king is named in Scripture, one after the other, of all the things that it could say about them to sum up their lives, it says of every one of them, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, or he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. I wonder, what's it going to say about you? What's it going to say about me? So King Ahaz did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord. We're also told, as we saw in these verses, that he made and worshipped idols. He sacrificed and burned incense at the pagan places of worship. And as we saw, I don't want to get too much into this because I know that we have children in here, but it just needs to be said, he burned his children in the fire. And what that's referring to is the God of Molech, who people, the pagans worshipped back then, and it was this a large, hollow, iron um, statue 
of a god with his arms outstretched. And they would build a fire inside this thing until it glowed red hot. And they would bring their babies and they would lay them on the arms of Molech until they burned to death. Hey, uh, think of how far someone's mind and heart would have had to have been drawn away from God to actually believe that by sacrificing their children in the fires of Molech that they were doing a good thing. And can I just tell you, um, Molech is still very much alive and well today. People are still sacrificing to Molech. And I mean that figuratively, and I mean it literally. It still goes on today. America has, to this point, sacrificed more than 60 million babies. Well, that's a snapshot of this man who is supposed to be leading God's people. For years, Ahaz lived like this, and he was convinced that he was going to get away with it. But like the famous old sermon by R.G. Lee that he entitled Payday Someday, Ahaz's payday had now arrived. Look at 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 5. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war, and they besieged Ahaz, but they could not overcome him. Now, uh, I told you when we got into this section of Scripture that we were going to encounter a lot of difficult names of people and places. There were going to be a lot of names that sounded the same. And as we come to this point now in Scripture today, we are, we're, we're beginning to step into the stage of history where Israel, God's people, have been divided. They've been split apart into two kingdoms, but now they're right on the brink <clears throat> of being invaded and being carried away captive. And so as we move into the next few months, it's going to be very important for us to try to have a picture of where all of this is taking place. Believe me, it will help you tremendously. So show that first map, guys, if you would. And as you look at that, at the top part there, you'll see in blue is Israel. This is at that time. And King Pekah ruled over Israel. Below that, in green, you will see Judah. And King Ahaz, that's what we're reading about this morning, ruled over that section. Now, God never intended for his people to be split apart like this. But after Solomon ruled, uh, his son Rehoboam and Jeroboam split the kingdom. Ten tribes went to the north, two tribes went to the south. And they have now been living, God's people have been living in opposition to each other. They hate each other. That never goes on today, thank goodness. So now, I want you to keep that picture in mind. I'll try to refer to it uh, in the months ahead as we continue to go through this. Show that second map, if you would, and you'll see up north in red. At the very far north is the Assyrian Empire. They'll become important in later weeks. And then right below that is the Syrian Empire. They both sound a lot alike, but they're very different nations. Assyria to the north, 
Syria below that, and King Rezin, who we just read about, rules in Syria. Now, go to the final map, and you can see there that King Rezin of Syria, way up north there, joined forces with King Pekah of Israel, and they both came together to attack Ahaz of Judah. Now, hopefully that will give you a bit of a picture and understanding of uh, what's going on. You, you might have noticed, by the way, that the verse we read said that these two armies came up to Jerusalem. Now, if you're thinking, you would look at that and go, well, the Bible's clearly wrong because they went down to Jerusalem. What you need to know is, as you read through Scripture, every time it says that someone went to Jerusalem, whether it's in the Old Testament or whether it's in the New Testament talking about Jesus, wherever they're coming from on the map, it always says they went up to Jerusalem every time. This is how highly they loved this city. Okay, so that's why it says they went up to Jerusalem. Now, God had already, as I said, through his prophets, Uh, warned the people that if they didn't turn back to him, he was going to send outside forces to attack them and carry them off into captivity. And so now the countdown clock is reaching its final seconds. And as the people are sinning away and having a great time, they never pause to look up and see that the window of opportunity is closing for the last time. And we see this prophecy now beginning to come true in the timeline of history. And you know, the the really sad thing is, as I alluded to a second ago, it wasn't just Syria up north who were the enemies of uh, God's people down in Judah. It was also, as I said, their own brothers right above them in Israel. They had become enemies. You see what sin can do to you. It wiggles its way in. And it begins to form a crack and a wedge. And before you know it, you're miles apart from your brothers and sisters. And some people even end up hating each other. God's still dealing with the same problem with his people today. And as we think back over what we've studied so far, we can clearly see the steady decline of God's people because of their sin and rebellion. It's so sad for me to think about, and I'm going to do a recap down the road for us to try to bring all this together. But you see how um, Israel started out as a mighty, powerful, feared, and respected nation. All the nations on earth looked at Israel and said, wow, what an amazing group of people. Their God must really be something. And God's testimony was flowing out through them all around the world. And then King David sinned, and he covered up his sin, and he lied about his sin. And then his son Solomon sinned and brought in wives who were unbelievers and brought in their foreign gods so that they could worship these foreign gods. And then after Solomon died, The kingdom split in two, and now you got Israel to the north and Judah to the south instead of having one nation. And now we see, after all these years of sin and rebellion, annihilation is right around the corner. That's what sin does every time, every time. It starts out really nice. It starts out friendly, 
It starts out fun. Like the Bible says, it starts out like a mouthful of honey, but it ends up like a mouthful of gravel. Sin begins very gently with us. It doesn't demand much at first, but the more you get into it, the more it demands. And it demands a little more, and it takes a little more, and it pulls a little more from you, and a little more, and a little more, until one day we're like the prodigal son. We're sitting there in the pig pen, looking around going, how did I get so low? How did my life sink to this point? And he's thinking back of his father's house and all that he had and all that he enjoyed and all the love that he felt there. And he had turned his back on it and left to go his own way. And boy, the Bible says he lived it up in riotous living. He was the king of the town until he wasn't. And he ended up in a pig pen, stealing food from the pigs to survive. I'm going to tell you folks in love because I care more about your soul than I care about your happiness. If you this morning have turned your back on God and you've decided to go your own way, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it is not going to end well. I will get the call at some point. Phil, please come save my family. Please come make things right. Please come patch everything up. I'm begging you this morning. If you're on that road, God right now is giving you an opportunity to repent. You know what that means? It's not a fancy word. It just means change direction. It means turn around. Boy, to, to turn around, to repent today is so much better than waiting until tomorrow or next week or next month. Because every minute that goes by, you're accumulating pain and destruction and heartache and loss and grief and sorrow. Not just for you, but for the people around you. I put this on the slide so you could see it. I don't know who said this, but someone said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's the absolute truth. And Ahaz is about to find that out the hard way. Now we turn to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. Isaiah has just received his call from God to go and proclaim the message to the people. And God has already told him that when you preach my message to these people, your message is actually going to harden their hearts even more. Their ears are become, be, will become even more deaf than they were before because they are not going to listen to my message. However, listen, however, God still wanted to give them a chance. You know what? If I knew that someone was going to continue to rebel and reject me and hate me, I'd have a really hard time saying, oh, come on, let's just go love them one more time. But this is what God does. Isaiah 7, 1, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. 
So his heart, that's Ahaz's heart, and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. You see the picture there. They're shaken in their shoes when they know that Syria and Israel have, even though they're enemies, they've formed an alliance together. And they're now marching towards uh, Jerusalem to King Ahaz. And all the people, and Ahaz included, are shaking in their shoes. These two armies come and attack Ahaz, and we'll read more about this in the coming weeks. And all that Ahaz had to do when he saw this happening, all he had to do was turn to God for help. And God would have helped him. But instead, he focused on the enemy. He focused on the threat, and it filled him with terror, and he was shaking like a tree in a storm, it says. Hey, I put this on a slide too because I really want you to see this and remember this. Fear of circumstances erodes our trust in God. Don't ever forget that. Fear of circumstances erodes our trust in God. If we live with our eyes on our circumstances, I'm telling you, we will go mad. We must live with our eyes on God, putting our trust in Him And it will override the circumstances that we are in. If you're looking to anyone or anything other than God for your help, for your strength, for your hope, for your security, for your safety, for your needs, sooner or later, that person or that thing will let you down. What are you trusting in today for your safety for your stability, for your peace, for your health, for your future. Trusting in your job? Trusting in your bank account? The Bible says, cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. You trusting in your spouse? Trusting in your kids to bring you happiness? Trusting in the economy, (laughs) trusting in the government, trusting in the Democrats, you're trusting in the Republicans. Here's what Psalm 56, 3 and 4 says, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh or what can man do to me. I encourage you to tuck that away. Somewhere down the road, you're going to need it, as I have many times. When the storms blow and you're tended to quake and worry and fear and uh, look at your life situations, it can put fear into you because focusing on fear erodes your trust in God. But the opposite is also true. Focusing on God erodes your, your fear. And so it works both ways. So here's Ahaz about to reap the consequences of his foolish choices. These, these armies are now marching toward him. And instead of God saying, well, serves him right, God actually sends Isaiah to go and speak comfort to Ahaz. This is mind-blowing. To give him another chance to turn around. Verse 3 of Isaiah 7, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz. 
you and Shir Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed, be quiet, do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Remaliah. Uh, listen, can I just say, God has not lost sight of you, no matter what kind of enemy you're facing, no matter what kind of war you're fighting. God has not lost sight of you. I love how in verse 3 there, God knew exactly where Ahaz was, down to the smallest geolocation. He told him exactly where to go, down by the aqueduct, down there by the, you know, that tree that kind of bends over that way, sort of where, where that fence is leaning crooked, right there. Where, yeah, right there. That's where he is right now. Go, Isaiah. Go. He's right there. It brings me great comfort to know God knows exactly where we are, even when we've wandered off course, even when we're surrounded by trouble, even when we're feeling lost and filled with fear. And you may feel this morning like you've drifted so far from God that he's lost sight of you. Maybe you've drifted so far or run so far that you've been convinced he doesn't even care for you anymore. Don't ever fall for that lie, folks. Wherever you are right now, whatever you're facing, God sees you. However far you've run, whatever you've done, God sees you. He knows exactly where you are, and he cares about you. And even now, this morning, in this service, in this very moment, God is sending an Isaiah to come look for you and say, hey, listen to me. I care for you. Please come back. And then we see that no enemy is too big for God. Verse 4, he said, you don't need to be afraid. Those two terrifying enemies, and let me tell you, the Syrians and the Assyrians, we'll get into that more later these were terrifying, terrifying armies. God says, don't be afraid of them. These two big, terrifying enemies bearing down on you. God says, in my eyes, they're nothing but two little smoldering sticks after the campfire has gone out. You ever woken up the next morning after camping and the fire has gone out and it's just a little smoldering there and you pick up a stick and it, you blow on it, it's got a little tiny glow left in it. God says, hey, man, that's, that's what Syria is to me. Just a little smoldering stick. He goes on to say to Ahaz, if you'll believe in me, if you'll trust me, their plans will not stand. This comes on in verses uh, 5 and following. If you'll believe in me, Ahaz, if you'll just trust in me, their plans will not succeed. They'll not come to pass. But then he tells Ahaz what will happen if he doesn't do that. Verse 9b, the second part of verse 9, God says, But if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. And folks, that's the truth every one of us had better get hold of. The word established here in the Hebrew means to have firm confidence, to remain faithful. You and I will never have firm confidence in this life or the life to come, and we will never remain faithful to the end unless we also 
believe in the Lord and keep our trust in him. And if we do, we will be established. God will set our feet on firm ground. He will establish our going. Well, wow, I didn't get through this um, as far as I had hoped. So Rachel and Jaron, uh, we'll have to take another run at it for next week. Um, well, let me just close by, by asking this. Uh, Ahaz is now faced with this decision of a lifetime, really, a decision of a lifetime. God has <clears throat> sent his gracious word to this rebellious man one more time. You see, it bothers me so much. I have to throw this in. It bothers me so much to hear people say, oh, God's such an angry God. You read the Bible, he's, he's so angry. He's always bringing judgment and fire from heaven and all this. It just bothers me when people say that because I know they haven't read the Bible. You can go in and cherry pick those places where God's judgment fell and, and make, a, make an assessment of God's character. You'd be dead wrong. Because all the in-between chapters for years and decades and centuries, what we see between those judgments is God saying, please come back to me. Please come back to me. Judgment is coming. I'm giving you a, a second chance and a third chance and a 50th chance. Please come back. Ahaz is now faced with this decision. What decision will he make and what will the outcome of that be? Well, Lord willing, we'll pick up there next week. But as I close, um, let me just say to you, maybe this morning, in some way, you identify with the life of Ahaz. You know the truth. And by the way, I, I didn't take time to point it out, but twice in these sections, it said um, Ahaz did not do, we looked at that, Ahaz did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God. His God. He knew God. He knew the truth. He could quote the verses, so to speak. He went to church every Sunday. From the outside, people looking on, wow, what a religious man. Maybe you, you know the truth. But you've been trusting in everything but God. You've been running your own way. You, you, can, you can write a book on all the things that you've done and thought and the, the, all the processes that have taken you down the wrong road, all the decisions you've made. And now you're at a point where maybe you can feel the enemy closing in. You can see the consequences of your choices looming dead ahead. And you recognize that you don't want to live that way. You recognize that uh, you know that God has more for you. And maybe you feel his tug on your heart right now, inviting you to come back to him. Folks, I want to tell you, I, I can't change your heart. And I wouldn't want to if I could, because I'd do it wrong. But God can change your heart. And I'm telling you, wherever you are, wherever you are in life this morning, if you will listen to the call of God, if you will receive his invitation of mercy 
and come back to him, I promise you when you do, you will find forgiveness and grace. The world will remember your sin. They'll call it up to you again and again and again. Satan will remind you of your sin. And by the way, you'll do it to yourself too. Oh, what a loser I am. I can't believe how I've lived my life. I, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil beats us up all the time. But listen, folks, God is waiting this morning. When you come back to him, you'll find forgiveness and grace. And he will establish you. And when you do, you'll discover that there's nothing in the world that comes close to the life that he can give you. Well, I'm going to have to leave it there this morning. I pray that somehow in all of this, God has used a a phrase or two to minister to your heart. And I ask you this morning, in these few minutes that we have left, take this opportunity to do what God is prompting you to do. I'll be at the back as we sing some closing songs. We'll also have a lady at the back. If uh, ladies would like to speak to her and get some help, we would love to do that. Let's pray. Father, once again, we see what a long-suffering, patient God you are. We see that you have offered us Um, life eternal and you've offered us strength and stability and you've offered to establish us in this life as well so Lord uh, if there's someone here this morning who's away from you or who's never come to you in the first place God would your spirit move in their heart in a way that no one else can ever do. Cause them to know the truth. And we know that your word says the truth will make us free. God, would you free some people this morning? Pray, God, you would move in hearts right now. Bring freedom. Bring freedom to those who are enslaved. Bring light to those who are lost in darkness. Bring hope to those who are without it. For your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, You can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. I want to see